Okay, welcome everyone to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and Adam, I hope the power holds, because lots of lights flashing earlier. It's been quite a week. The rain barrels are all full, and the power is sketchy down here in the bunker. Didn't flood, though, so that's good. <laughs> well, it's held up this long. It's a bunker report, yeah. State of the art, nineteen fifty-five. More, more waterproofing required. <laughs> Actually, closer to World War One, but when... <laughs> that's where you get that. Uh, what's the guy? The flex tape. The flex tape guy. Oh, he's just slap it on and you slap it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just slap it on and you'll be you like power boating wherever you want down the Speed River, wherever you want. Drywall size sheets of that stuff. Oh yeah, that's kind <laughs> of <Placeful> move. <laughs> <laughs> Open source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. But this week will be Guelph MP Lloyd Longfield, who will talk to us about the good stuff in the federal budget from his perspective including money that supports U of G research, more investments in clean tech, and why the federal government is doing everything it can do, it can do, on the housing crisis. I want to put the emphasis on the can do and then not say emphasis. That's going to be at the bottom half of the show. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from last week, including the report into the mass casualty event in Nova Scotia in 2020. Blame goes to the RCMP. But it also goes to a serious lack of action on domestic partner violence. So we're going to talk about what we learned. But first, uh, it was made some waves this week. Not a lot. Uh, but a Florida man went to court in New York <laughs> on Tuesday. Uh, 34 counts. Uh, you, may, you may have heard of him. Donald Trump um, was, was briefly president of the United States. Um, but kidding aside, this is kind of serious uh 34 counts relating to the hush money payment to an adult film actress named stephanie clifford uh her stage name is of course stormy daniels uh this is a crime that a person who was donald trump's personal lawyer has already gone to jail for which i think is something that's been kind of missed in the commentary is that somebody's already gone to jail for this and it wasn't the guy who um funded the cover-up or uh, whom was directly benefited by the cover-up. It was literally the bag man. Um, but uh, we all we all had a good time watching Donald Trump go to court, waiting for Donald Trump to go to court, watching his plane sit on a tarmac, waiting for him to arrive to go to New York City, watching the plane take off from the airport in, in Palm Beach, uh, fly through the sky for a while, and then uh, approach LaGuardia Airport and land at LaGuardia Airport. And then we enjoyed watching Donald Trump's motorcade leave the airport and go into Manhattan and go to Trump Tower. And boy, was there was there a lot of watching of vehicles this week for a pretty standard arraignment. <laughs> yeah, it's the white Bronco all over again, eh? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But it's... The circus was definitely in town in New York City. Nobody does a circus quite like New York. But yeah, even down to the plane, what, a 757? Like, even Elon Musk flies around in like a Lear or something, right? <laughs> Just, mm-hmm. But my favorite headline, of course, and you will you probably saw this one, Adam, Home Alone 2 lost in New York star Donald Trump <laughs> indicted <laughs> on criminal charges. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then I saw a lot of people go, well, he was really more of a cameo than a star. 
Oh, it's Trump. He's a star. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, all that for that largest mm-hmm. police mobilization probably since 9-11. Um, but yeah, it's it's fitting that it's on the home turf. It's yeah. where it needs to be. I'm sure you saw that. I didn't. I did not watch the feed all day, although I did see some clips of uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene getting heckled out of town. Mm-hmm. It's quite hilarious. You filthy animal. No <laughs> one screams like a New Yorker. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've been there a couple of times. So like, this is fabulous. So yeah, um, fun and games to some degree, but not completely. And as you said about uh, his lawyer, Cohen, going to, to jail for this already, it's like this goes without saying there's probably more to it it's taken so long though mm-hmm. and i think that's some of the predictions that this this is aside from everything that happened yesterday this is just going to stretch on and on it takes a while for these things it, he may be president again by the <laughs> time this is i solved i you know never say never i said never the first time but i wouldn't again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but i get the sense even though we saw his face yesterday including when the door slammed in his face by accident uh he's loving it mm-hmm. like he's he he looked pissed off in court fine of course you're going to but he is loving this and i think that was reflected in the uh, the speech that he was told not to give but you can't <laughs> you cannot shut this guy up it's not possible like a gag order he ignores every other thing how would a gag order work with donald trump you would literally have to gag him yeah, with a ball gag, and then he wouldn't say anything, right? Yeah, yeah, no, there would have to be like some sort of gagging ceremony. It'd be like the Hannibal Lecter. Double gag. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not sure he's loving it because I didn't watch the the, the Mar-a-Lago speech, but I, I I did hear somebody make the correlation. Like the darker the makeup he wears, the the more his mood is sour that oh. uh, the the kind of the darker the orange hue gets i mean the more he's the more angry he is and like hmm. i think there's a part of him that's reveling in it for sure and you know there was that um thing that they released as he was going to court they released uh t-shirts with uh trump's quote-unquote mugshot on it which is <laughs> which is like when you see him like phone it into like fox and friends and things um that that like headshot of him it's just it's yeah. that headshot against like some bars so it's like not really a mugshot and it's a pretty bad Photoshop job. But if you give $45 to the Trump campaign, you can get one. Um, oh, he's selling his people are selling them. His people are selling it. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was, this was like hawkers on the street. I know they're very oh. New York thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there was, but this was like yeah. from the Trump campaign. Yeah. It just so like there's, there's, it's made him the center of attention, which he enjoys. It's hmm. gotten everybody in the Republican party to flock to his defense, whether that's like, Ron DeSantis saying, like, we will not extradite Donald Trump even after he said, yeah, I'll go to New York and for my arraignment. Or Jeb Bush, if there's anyone who should eagerly want a front row seat to watch Donald Trump roast on a spit, it's Jeb Bush. Um, but even Jeb Bush is like, well, I don't know, Davey. This seems like a <laughs> this seems like a political prosecution to me. Um it's it's so silly. And you know, it the thing is like as in as much as the, this was like kind of a circus atmosphere it only gets worse from here because um there's i think there, there's a whole like schedule of things coming like the next several weeks ha- involve like one kind of court action like the 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 civil trial into the dominion case against fox news starts 
next week. And then the week after that, the E. Jean Carroll case where she's suing Trump for defamation. That starts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still what's happening in Georgia. There's still what's happening with Jack Smith and the special counsel and the investigation into the, the documents case. The investigation into January 6th, just today, um, or as we're recording, it was just announced, Mike Pence is not going to appeal the uh, a subpoena to testify to the special counsel for January oh. 6th. So, like, uh, if Mike Pence is giving up the ghost, uh, you have to wonder uh, maybe just how much more uh, free air you might be be breathing. But, yeah, and then Trump does himself no favors either, because maybe you saw the clip of the Hannity interview where they're talking about the documents case, and Hannity's like, well, surely you, Mr. President, wouldn't go and have, have the box brought to you and then rummage through it and then take out documents you don't want to give back? And Trump's like, absolutely, I would do that. <laughs> That's right. He's like, of course I did. I can do that. I did do it. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're admitting this. Everybody's like, what? I just, make, I make you almost feel like you almost feel sorry for Sean Handy because he's like desperately th- trying to help oh. Donald Trump, but Donald Trump will not let anyone help him. <laughs> Threw him a giant bone and he just <laughs> Dude. Yeah, and I watched, uh, I, there was a clip with Daniel Dale, ex of, of Toronto, famous for um, doing famous similar for- with Rob Ford, keeping tabs on him. Now in the big leagues, he yeah. watches people like Trump so we don't have to. And he was like, it was short and sweet. He's like, yeah, everything he said is incorrect. <laughs> Absolutely everything he said was pretty much a lie. And he's like, I will call him a liar. I think there's some reluctance to do that due to the litigation or whatever. He's like, no, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm a contractor of a sort. I don't know. Is he with CNN? Uh, they, they call on him a lot, I think. But No, he's a CNN staffer. He's CNN officially. Okay. So yeah. like everything from the George, George Soros, like he's just hits all of those notes. And I'm still not sure whether he writes it or it's just the improv bits in the speech. I just heard some bits and pieces. I couldn't, there's no way I could sit through the 25 minutes, two minutes. It's difficult at the best of times. You know what I'd love somebody to do is like take a bunch, like take two dozen old Jewish guys down to Mar-a-Lago, including George Soros, and like create a reception line for Trump and say, hey, Donald, I want you to pick out George Soros for us and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Probably could not. Yeah. (laughs) Just becomes a, they'll just name check him all the time because his people do. Well, I mean, Don Jr. and Eric certainly are doing their bit, too. And, you know, Don Jr. posts that picture of the judge's daughter because, you know, hey, it's not like, you know, judges have been killed for political reasons lately. They just keep hitting new lows. Yeah. Trump is as low as you can go. And then the son, the sons, (laughs) Eric, I don't know what's like, just what's up with that. I can't do it. I'm at the point where it's like somebody else, please watch this. <laughs> it, it is appropriate to talk about the Suns before Easter weekend, though. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Ivanka's not—is she just sort of sidelined now? I think she's out. I think I heard that today that she's just like she's like, no, I don't want any piece of this anymore. Which again yeah. reinforces her rep as the smart Trump. So, yeah, and became rather wealthy off of Dad's presidency, so he probably doesn't need to do anything. And and husband as well right so yeah Jared's it's almost like <laughs> we're but, like e-talk territory it's like who's dating whom i mean it's completely fair but i i think it you know it is also fair to look at sort of the long-term political consequences of that because in 
other political news on Tuesday night, uh, a woman named Janet, I'm going to get her name, I'm going to butcher her name, Janet Protasiewicz, uh, I think that's her name, Janet Protasiewicz, won uh, a Supreme Court seat in uh, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court, which mm-hmm. uh, makes this more liberal. She was running against a man named Kelly, who was like vehemently pro-Trump, is like saying, yo, in 2024, I'm absolutely going to reject any decision of uh, the the electoral college that doesn't go to Trump. And it's like, well, here you here we go again. Uh, Trump guy loses. The Trump guy loses. Um, and and the Democratic person wins. Here he is. Here we have another act of Trump sabotage. Um, even Ron DeSantis has fallen in this trap. Everyone's looking at Ron DeSantis to to like take mm-hmm. over as the the head of the Republican Party. But even he can't help himself. He can't. He has to go. Like, oh, no, I must come to Trump's defense. He Trump needs me. <laughs> and 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 it's it just it's it's fascinating that here they have another opportunity again to like finally get over it and and they don't fox news is running to his offense defense like all over fox news it was like how could how could alvin bragg do this how can you know how can how can the prosecutor prosecute someone for crimes uh it's just it's it's another remarkable example of just i mean despite his obvious flaws uh it's donald trump's party and he can do what he wants with it I did watch the supercut of the uh, Fox News people crying or trying nice. to hold back tears, also including Lindsey Graham, among others. But nice, yeah. And there has been some progressive. The Brandon Johnson was it Brandon Johnson, the new mayor of Chicago, mm-hmm. former teacher, union organizer. That was a close race, but so yeah, that you know, for for all the hype, is is the Trump brand still hitting the mark? And it would seem that it isn't, regardless mm-hmm. of how many flags they sell. What is what's the newest one? Trump or die. <laughs> Trump or die. It might be die because it might not be Trump. That really is the bare essence of the situation now. It's like Trump or die. It's like we really can't we can't refine this aesthetic any further. Yeah. <laughs> What's the final the final thing? It's like okay, we're just gonna die. That's it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we pretty won't. much. Yeah. Well, no, we'll be fine. Um <laughs> well, there's things to talk about, which is all yeah, there is all the time. And one of them is uh, the Mass Casualty Commission report. This was the investigation into the uh, mass shooting that happened in Nova Scotia in April 2020. Uh, 22 people died. Three others were injured. Um, this was the man who was driving the uh, fake RCMP car dressed up as a cop. He had several automatic weapons. Um, started as essentially a domestic assault case um, before it turned into a full-on killing spree, which is why one of the recommendations is to essentially treat domestic partner violence as an epidemic and to have uh, to basically treat a lot of these mental health issues that are happening uh, on par with a similar public response as COVID-19. But there was a lot of sharp words on the 3000 report reserved for the RCMP, um, the lack of uh, having an operations plan, the terrible communications uh, that were used during the the 17 hour uh, event, or maybe it was 14, 15 hours anyway. Um, also, just the fact that this is the umpteenth, I think the exact number, report concerning an event mm-hmm. where RCMP members are killed and where members are, of the public are killed, where the RCMP are involved. Thinking about Moncton, uh, thinking about um, 
James Smith, Cree Nation last year as well. Um, it, it's the, the lesson seems to be that we keep putting out these reports and the RCMP keeps doing nothing with them. So, you know, uh, well, <laughs> will this be like lucky 13 or whatever number this is? I think that's going to be the big question, whether the pressure is finally on for the RCMP to reform. Uh, yeah, the pressure is definitely on for sure. And there was some praise in it. I think it was mentioned that uh, Corporal Stevenson, who died, was the RCMP that was killed. Mm-hmm. Was actually uh, killed doing the right thing, mm-hmm. using st- strategy like block the road, classic policing stuff, which was mm-hmm. what, which was a complete failure. And you mentioned the Moncton shootings there. I believe there was a report came out after that that said you need you being the RCMP need to have solid emergency plans for situations such as this prepare for a disaster mm-hmm. because it was your own people in Moncton was it three it was three officers in Moncton and there's been others too yeah well they didn't the report gets same thing there's a report you should implement this there's a strategic plan somewhere but of course they didn't use it mm-hmm. so again that's was one of the heavy recommendations that operational planning needs to be you need to do that sort of thing uh, part of the the mass failure, I think they they applied the three Ds to it was disorganized, dysfunctional, and dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and worst case scenario too. It wasn't just an incident or two incidents. It's effectively twenty two when you break it down. Um, yeah, and you mentioned too off the top there about gender based violence, which made an appearance. It's and that's something that didn't really get talked about in other media. I think it, it's just sort of been sidelined, but. I did see a clip of they spoke to um, the I'm called the guy I don't want to say his name the partners the partners lawyer mm-hmm. who you know, was specifically talking about that and how it's 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 chronic mm-hmm. it's it, and it's gotten worse under COVID there's supposed to be more money for that and more money for groups that I think one that's one of the suggestions as well more give more money to groups that aren't necessarily uh, police and the courts. Right. To address that. But well, I mean, that's supposed to have been happening. It didn't happen. And it's obviously still not happening when and I think Trudeau had said, well, we will look, we'll look at, you know, it was, it wasn't, we're going to implement all of this. It mm-hmm. was, we will take many of the things under consideration, which is slightly weaseling out of it. And I, I, I suppose there's a lot of it in it that they, they couldn't directly implement, but because the RCMP answered to the feds, mm-hmm. like they, they have to. They have to do something after this. Well, this is one of those things like nobody wants to politicize the police or the management of the police. And, and you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, in theory, that's correct. But at the end of the day, who the who do the police answer to? Um, I think the big question coming out of this, and maybe it's a question nobody wants to um, like directly attack. But, you know, has Canada outgrown the RCMP? Like we have the OPP here in Ontario. And there are detachments in pretty much every large, you know, sort of municipal area, like counties. Wellington County has an attachment of the OPP, Elgin County, Essex County, uh, Durham County, so on and so forth. Should maybe we be considering this the other way, too? Like the RCMP, we're talking about 17,000 people across the country. So is what's, you know, happening in Moncton relevant to what's happening in Bible Hill and what's relevant to happening in you know, Spiritwood, Saskatoon, where two RCMP officers died in 06, 
or uh, Mayor Thorpe, Alberta, where four died in 05. It's a, I think it's just, are we asking too much of the RCMP? Has policing evolved? Like RCMP started as a frontier police force. Well, there's no frontier anymore. We have a lot of empty space in this country, but it's not the frontier. Um, yeah. they, they do, you know, protection of the, of, you know, the prime minister and other high profile cabinet ministers. So there, there's a protection aspect to it. Um, there, there's an intelligence aspect to it, of course, as well. And although, you know, certainly there seems to be a lot of intelligence failures and even just directly like information wasn't getting from 911 dispatchers to police in the field. And then that information wasn't getting to members of the public either. So would it make sense if there was like a Nova Scotia provincial police instead of like having RCMP so that you have more local control too? I think that's an, the the relevant direction these discussions should take place in. However, I don't think that's a discussion anyone wants to have. Because I mean, it's almost like the the twenty four Sussex thing. We know that the place is falling apart, but we don't want to talk about it because it's opening a political can of fish. I mean, this is a yeah, little more serious, of course, but it, it the principle's the same. Yeah, there's rats in the walls, and I think it's probably the same uh, <laughs> yeah. for the for the RCMP. But yeah, as you said, like it was a frontier police force. But why why do we have it? Why was it structured? It was completely to keep indigenous people in line. Yeah, among other things. I mean, there's some crossover with the U.S. there, but you know, generally that's that's why. Mm-hmm. Go back to the Red River Rebellion and all of that, mm-hmm. and then later working people when there was the um, on to Ottawa trek. Mm-hmm. Got to keep those commies in line. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, realistically, that is why they exist. They evolved out of that, obviously. But the problem with well entrenched and well established organizations like the RCMP, and I would extend this to the military as well, which mm-hmm. has its share of problems, come from a similar route. Mm-hmm. The culture becomes so ingrained, you can't undo it. So, you is it best to blow it up and start over again? Probably. <laughs> or at least get down to business rather than just report, report, as you said, and then nothing happens, right? Mm-hmm. This is the this is the key. And are they so well entrenched? As we know, I'm just going to extend that to police in general. That's a very tough nut to crack. It's hard to get in behind the scenes, let's say, and affect change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it needs to be sweeping change. And you would think after it was in the previous incidents you mentioned some of their own Mm -hmm. that there would be a drive to because it's not just them exclusively but you know it's no one likes to be told however many 130 recommendations that you know you screwed up you're a mess like no one likes that right no no (laughs) um and i haven't actually heard I, i heard trudeau's comments but i haven't heard anything coming from the RCMP. Did you on this? Like, no. did I miss that? Was it overshadowed by Trump and all those things that are going on? Cause I didn't, there's no, it's like, well, we'll reserve comment. I'm sure they're not happy, but I mean, no one is happy in a situation like this, right? Especially, you know, you're being told essentially how to do your job. Right. And it's, I mean, the argument, I mean, that's almost like a piece of it. That's like so big that it, it, it doesn't that it kind of ignores the root cause of this, which is like here was a man who is pissed off at his wife and wanted to or partner and and wanted to kill her, and uh, the the epidemic part of this, you know, and not coincidentally, the the Canadian Femicide Observatory, which is based out of the U of G, came out with their annual report a couple of weeks ago, or I think it was last week even, uh, one hundred eighty or eight hundred and fifty women or girls 
were killed between 2018 and 22. And of course, a large piece of that is the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. essentially, a woman or girl is killed once every 48 hours in Canada. That's a 27% increase um, over that period. Uh, And then you, you mentioned Indigenous people. Well, you know, we're seeing... You know, in Winnipeg right now, the protests around the, the this landfill outside of Winnipeg, where you know they keep turning up the bodies of Indigenous women, including one woman who's uh, been uh, her, let's say her Earth name hasn't been identified. The, the Indigenous communities call her Buffalo Woman, um, but they don't know who she was in this life. And uh, there, here's another situation where it's like, well, we very clearly and it, like small scale, we very clearly have a problem. Somebody maybe even a serial killer you know we've been here before um is just killing indigenous women and dropping them off like garbage in this landfill and we don't want to shut the landfill down and do like a proper search because you know <laughs> where are we going to put our garbage in the meantime well you know we have somebody who's treating living breathing human beings like garbage and we're worried about you know <laughs> you know our discarded coffee cups and things like that I, you know it, it's just it it, sh- it it's kind of like a, a living example of just so to speak of just you know how little we value the lives of some people and i think you know re- reforming the rcmp is pretty it's a pretty good long-term goal but in, in the immediate goal like doing better for women who are abused and assaulted and killed uh, especially marginalized women from marginalized communities so that's something we could start fixing right now absolutely because i think that w- the woman that was discovered this week wasn't even on that initial suspected list of people yeah. that might be in there. And it's, That's it's, right. it's horrible. And it's, I, I think it was the Winnipeg police taking care of it. I somehow recall that the RCMP said that they were, they would be able to provide advice on how to do that search or something. I don't know why that's sticking in my head, but mm. it's, I mean, maybe they can, but I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. Like the yeah. technical advice is one thing, but being involved is completely another. But hopefully, it'll take some of these recommendations to heart. Well, that's the hope, and uh, we will probably have to revisit this in the future. For now, though, we're going to take a quick break and queue up our interview with our member of Parliament, Lloyd Longfield. We got budget talk coming up. You are listening to Open Source Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. This is just That was number 11 on the current CFRU chart, April 4. That was U.S. Girls, which is actually one girl from Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) Off of the new album, and that song is called Future's Bet. U.S. Girls by Toronto Girl, Future's Bet. It was just like twins. It was a very interesting story there. It was like... Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Our music... Our musical horizons have been <laughs> expanded. Um, so last week we talked to Dr. Paul Kershaw from Generation Squeeze, get a little outside opinion about 
the uh, Ontario budget. This week, we are joined by Guelph MP Lloyd Longfield, who's going to give us the inside perspective on the federal budget. And uh, Lloyd has been posting a lot about this. Obviously, he is a part of the Liberal government. And uh, so uh, we did a little sit down with him uh, via Zoom to talk about the things he liked in the budget, uh, the things he's excited about in the budget, um, things that are going to help Guelphites, uh, clean tech. And um, I threw a pretty broad question at him about, like, what if we just, like, solved the housing crisis and just did whatever it took? And so just to add a bit of insight, just in terms of how complicated this is, because I think a lot of people are just looking for, like, government to fix this. And I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure it's as easy as that. But um, I asked the question. I got the answer. So you'll hear that near the end of the interview. Uh, as for everything else, um, let's hear from our MP, Lloyd Longfield. We're going to press play on that interview starting right now. Lloyd Longfield, thank you so much for hopping on with me again. Adam Donaldson, it's always a pleasure. Here I am, as I said, off air with headphones and a mic. I'm trying to pretend I'm like you. <laughs> Good luck yeah. with that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> first, uh, we're recording Monday, and we just heard uh, Jeremy Henson is going to be the first Canadian to to get near the moon. What are your thoughts? Oh, that's amazing. First non-American, period, mm -hmm. uh, to get outside of the Earth's orbit. Uh, it's it's exciting times, I think. You know, Canada's always been involved with NASA, whether it's on the engineering or on the training, and uh, to see us break through that uh, break through that glass ceiling that we have around the, the world. Not a big <laughs> glass ceiling, but uh, it's going to be incredible to, to hear his experience and, and uh, see the pictures coming back. That does uh, lead me into first question about the, the recently announced budget. Uh, there's $1.9 for the Canadian Space Agency. And I, I know there are a lot of people who are worried about practicalities here on Earth, so I'll ask this question for them. Uh, what, <clears throat> be, what benefit do us earthbound Canadians get out of uh, these these new investments into space and space tech? You know, we earthbound Canadians. Actually, the University of Guelph received some funding from the Canadian Space Agency. Uh, the work that they're doing around um, remote picking of fruits and vegetables, uh, the uh, technology around that actually came from the Mars program. So when we're investing in science, it Quite often, you don't know where it's going to lead. You're discovering things, you're getting into new ideas, and but we, we're already seeing some of the benefits in Guelph, and some of that goes straight down to Niagara and Leamington, picking grapes and tomatoes. We've had labor shortages in those areas, bringing in people for uh, you know, seasonal workers, and now the University of Guelph is developing some technology around uh, identifying what a fruit is versus the other things that might be growing around it. And mm. uh, not picking up the neighborhood cat or the mouse walking by, but grabbing the right tomato. That was a ter terrible analogy. I'm stretching. <laughs> but uh, Canada has been involved with a, a lot of, of technology that actually when I've been in Montreal in the, in the uh, uh, in innovation center that connects with the Canadian Space Agency as well through some funding, and they're doing um, remote surgery. Uh, they're doing things that mm. go inside the body with cameras. And, and so doctors are able to operate on people that are, you know, thousands of kilometers away, potentially, which could translate into indigenous communities, as an example. Um, and that's all technology being developed in Canada and through the efforts that we have with the space program. So it's actually a very practical uh, thing to do is to invest in 
that area. And, uh, and now we get the benefit of having somebody going to experience what it's like uh, touring around the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a good answer. Uh, I say that objectively. Um, I do want to move into other tech areas because one of the big investments in the budget was for for clean tech and sure. uh, expanding those opportunities as well. And I'm, I'm going to pair this with the recent um, increase in the the carbon tax. You know that ha- that happens every year around this time. And I've seen people poke at you. I've seen them poke at other government people online. It's like, well, here we go. The carbon tax is up again, and you know I'm paying more for filling up the tank and heating the house. Maybe that's less yeah. of a concern in April, but just, you know, in, in terms of like balancing those two things, you know, we're making these investments, but on the same time, people are worried about seeing the impact on their, their, you know, their bills with the, the increases. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even the phrasing of a car carbon tax is mm. something that the conservatives have, have used that phrasing. It's easy to understand because the government's taking money. Mm-hmm. Um, which is usually done in taxes. In this case, it's it's a pricing mechanism. Uh, there's money being returned to Canadians. <clears throat> so April 1st, the amount that we're collecting increased and the, the amount that we're giving back also increased at the same time with quarterly checks coming back to Canadians. So it's it's a market mechanism to increase the price of something which will then hopefully decrease demand. And um, if you put something on sale, you increase demand. And we're not putting pollution on sale. We're actually increasing the price, which will hopefully change behaviors so people look for cleaner solutions, which bridges into the investments in clean technology Mm -hmm. and the jobs that are created around developing electric vehicles as a prime example for Guelph and the supply chain with the auto parts industry gearing up for um, new drivetrains and new ways of moving vehicles using electric uh, drive systems. Uh, but we've also got in Guelph uh, engineering working on, on air pollution. We've got engineering working on water pollution. Uh, the jobs that are created around cleaning up the planet um, really stimulates the economy. So, again, people saying, oh, out of control spending by the Liberal government, but it's investing in an area that's a global foot race right now for somewhere in the $30 billion economy that we want to participate in. And if we don't invest in it, the jobs just go to another jurisdiction like Europe or like the United States. So we, I was surprised in this budget how much money did go into clean technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it was as a response to the uh, IRA program in the States um, where they're investing in climate change initiatives. But there's a similar program in Europe. And so we've put money into that knowing that our competitive uh, countries are also investing and we want the jobs here in Canada. So the multiplier will be the economy continues to grow and hopefully speeds up. Uh, we put more people into jobs and those people pay taxes, the businesses pay taxes, and you get a return on your investment that way. One of the things in one of the investments in clean tech, uh, there's a tax credit that will cover between, I'm reading right off the CPC website here, so forgive me, 15, to, <laughs> 15 and 40% of eligible project costs, higher rebates will go to projects that produce the cleanest hydrogen and the hydrogen credit is worth about $5.6 billion over five years. How big is hydrogen in Canada in terms of developing that as a fuel source? Um, not big enough. It's a huge potential, and we have pipelines that we can move hydrogen down. Uh, it is a future opportunity, which is coming quickly. 
Uh, we see Germany, in, as, as an example, investing in Canadian hydrogen. Oh. Um, the piece that you were reading off the website also, uh, the, the longer version of that has uh, good-paying jobs, union-type jobs, or jobs that are paying the equivalent uh, benefits and salaries to what unions pay, um, so that we're investing in areas where people are going to get a direct benefit and help them get into better incomes and, and solve other social problems from there. Um, so saving the planet, helping social development, getting people into good jobs. Um, I think it's, it's all what we're trying to do through those investment credits and uh, accelerating the, the investments coming from other countries into Canada as well, knowing that we're a friendly region. If you're in clean technology, we want the world to come to us so that we can create jobs in Canada. Uh this kind of connects into that and the other piece of this, you, you mentioned the IRA in the States, the Inflation Reduction Act. So, you know, the, the U.S. is kind of making big plays to get into clean tech now. You, you, Europe's been there for years. We've been trying to, 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 to get in. I mean, this global competition, um, how, how you, know, you work on the Environmental Committee, so, yep. you know, you kind of have probably a better idea than many of us, but, you know, just... How big of a player, like, how is Canada situated to be, like, a, a global player in this market? Like, can are, are we a leader? Can we, like, what, 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 how can we get to that, that kind of leadership level, I guess? In terms of growth, we are the leader. Uh, we're either number one or two in the world. Um, and we are known to be leaders, and, and Canadian talent is, is sought by other countries. The University of Guelph is a leader within the leaders, so half mm. of well, Canada's environmental engineers come from Guelph and have done for the last 50 years. The, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, is actually doing some things that we've been doing for the last seven years in, mm. in Parliament uh, through our government in investing in uh, things that support families, support people that uh, need support versus just giving checks to, checks away to millionaires is the phrase that's used in the House of Commons by the Liberals anyway. <laughs> um, so the things like the child care program, the, the Canada child benefit, um, the doubling of the G GST uh, credits. So the um, trying to fight inflation by giving benefits to people that would not be contributing to inflation is really a balancing act that we've been doing for a few mm -hmm. years now. And mm -hmm. uh, so we saw the IRA as something that was taking some of our, our lessons and then just multiplying them by a whole bunch of uh, numbers. And so put us in a position where we had to increase our investments in areas that we were all already investing in. Gotcha. You, you mentioned inflation and there are a number of like sort of anti-inflation measures in the budget and you know the biggest one is the the one-time grocery rebate that um low-income canadians are going to be getting i'm wondering though in terms of like the discussions inside the government that tricky balancing act you mentioned because obviously yeah. we, you want to help people in the short term but in the long term you want to sort of bring these inflationary pressures down get them under control so i guess like how long can we sort of keep up the like th those measures, like the short-term measures and, you know, things like there's really kind of no sign that groceries are kind of the lagging indicator in this, the groceries bill is kind of the last to come down. So just yep. how long can we keep up the, the, with the, the short-term solutions? Well, uh, 
political answer is as long as it takes. Um, but <laughs> I think enough. there's also there's also some reality there that um, we've been we've been dancing with the Bank of Canada, which is not part of the government. It's an outside organization that mm -hmm. is you know, the main regulator of our banking system, um, not government controlled. So they're very independent. So they're, but they've been given the mandate to have inflation between two and 4%. And their main tool of doing that is by raising interest rates. So when they raise interest rates, then we have to respond as a government to say, okay, who's getting really affected badly by this? The lower income Canadians or people that are struggling already that have higher bills. So then we put specific measures in to try and help those people without putting too much money into the market. Those people are going to be spending on groceries and rent. That's not inflationary. So instead of giving, uh, giving benefits across the board, we're being very targeted in the response to what the Bank of Canada is doing. But the Bank of Canada is doing their job. Um, they've got inflation down to 5.2% last month. They're heading towards 3% by the summer, hoping to be in the 2% range by the end of this year. Mm. Then they will be able to decide to reduce interest rates. And as they reduce interest rates, then that gives us more fiscal room to do, do other programs that uh, we've had to cut, cut back on um, mm. some of our ambitions. Um, at the end of the day, we're still running a deficit. Uh, the deficit has, of course, been a lot of discussion in the House and, and in the media. Um, the deficit we're running is about 1.4% of our GDP compares to Germany at 5.6, the UK is 5.4. So our deficit as a part of our economy is actually still being well managed. Um, we, we aren't planning to get to zero because we're still in a period where people need supports. And then mm -hmm. we'll have to take a look at readjusting, recalibrating as the economy starts taking off again. And we haven't, on the economy, we haven't hit the recession that we were expecting in the first quarter. And we actually got through the first quarter without going negative. Right. We, I was surprised by that because everything we were hearing going up to this year, coming into the last half of 2022 said, it's going to be a terrible winter. It's going to be a lot of layoffs. We're going to be in a negative growth position. We haven't hit that. We still have jobs that aren't getting filled. We still have an economy that's growing slightly, but it's not negative. And so now as we get into the second half of this year, we should be seeing our inflation getting into that two to 4% range. And then we'll see first quarter of next year, first half of next year, we hopefully will start seeing the interest rates coming down. But that's really a lot of crystal balling in that sentence. Yeah, no, there's a lot of crystal balling. And, and, but, you know, it strikes me, I do remember that having that conversation with you before Christmas about, you know, the, the, all those sort of dire predictions, which yep. didn't come to pass. And, you know, certainly there is economic upheaval, but in, in so much as we talk about like paradigm change and, you know, stuff like that coming out of COVID, um, have our economic expectations changed? Like we have this yep. era where you have the higher than what's typically enjoyed interest rates, but it doesn't seem to have th that kind of broader cooling effect on the overall economy anymore. Like, Wait, Adam, you've got your finger on something there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. what, ha what has changed is there's a new paradigm, and that's the supply-side paradigm, where economies have usually been focused on demand side and how do you keep up with demand and how when demand changes, what do you have to do? 
uh, to get it back up. Um, we're now in a supply side management, which is something pretty new to the world, really, um, that all of our constraints are on the supply side. And that's a shortage of material and shortage of labor. Mm-hmm. And uh, that coming out of COVID, where we've had a traditional shortage of labor and material, but then coming out of COVID with supply chain reactions, we've had some shifts in the labor force. We've had some shifts in where people access goods. So a a really strong example you mentioned on groceries is the war in in Ukraine, Mm. that Russian grain and Russian uh, petrochemicals are not on the market anymore. They're like Russian fertilizers off the market, Russian oil and gas is off the market. The global reaction to that is um, is we're seeing grain prices go up and we're seeing oil and gas prices go up because the world has to find new sources. And mm-hmm. so supply has reduced and because of supply reducing prices has, have gone up. And that's a direct result of the war that Putin has uh, has taken on uh, with, with, with Ukraine. Um, and people, you know, I was speaking to constituents this weekend on the phones and um, somebody said, yeah, but what does that war have anything to do with us? Because we're not involved in the war. We're not supplying oil and gas to, to Germany. Right. Um, but, but Germany is accessing from Venezuela. Venezuela is like the whole supply side is shifted, which then ultimately has an impact on Canada. Right. Not something you can put on a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the hard thing when you're actually doing the work and trying to react to the changes in the world. It's it's complicated, but we are working on those things and we're watching them very closely. We were expecting worse than we received. And, and uh, a lot of that is because we've reacted as a country to the changes and we've reacted very well to the changes. And hopefully, um, I think I, in our last conversation, I said we were on a portage. We could see the lake, but we weren't there yet. Well, right. we're closer to the lake, and we can see that the economy is in a good position going into the summer and into the last half of this year. Okay, then I'll this ask you. It doesn't quite look like it quite yet, y- but it's yeah, there. It's, it's always darkest before the dawn, as it's been said, although it hasn't even been that dark. Um, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you you did tweet that page 41 was your favorite page of the budget <laughs> document but um so maybe this answers th- this next question but i mean if there's one area of the budget you want to you know make sure that people are aware of you know what what are what are some of the things you you you, you that maybe that aren't discussed often discussed in, in for coming out of this budget that you want to focus on I think page 41 has to do with seniors. And I was hoping to see something in the budget recognizing the challenges seniors are facing, not just because I'm a senior, (laughs) but because it's an increasing demographic that uh, we can't let fall behind. Um, And so there's some targeted measures to try and help seniors. The next page in the budget was on housing, page 42. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're working on with Guelph. I had a meeting with the mayor this morning with the group working on housing. And um, we're putting together our community response to how do we get 18,000 houses built in Guelph and how can we help support from the federal government. Um, Those are things that I think affect Guelphites directly is how do you support your seniors? And there's some good measures there. And then uh, including mental health and including um, the uh, grocery rebate you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, every little bit helps and you put them all together and you've actually got a pretty good package for seniors now. I'm going to throw this kind of logical paradox at you. You know, the, the housing crisis, 
appreciating that it's complicated, appreciating that it was a long time coming, appreciating that a lot of the solutions we're talking about are, are sort of going to take years to come to fruition. I know that a lot of people are just kind of looking for action. And so let me throw this at you. What if we were to just sort of nationalize home building for five years and say, we have to get the affordable housing stock up. We need to make houses more available. We just say for the next five years, we're going to build houses for people. And then after five years, we can get back to the market. We can get back to all of that. But just for the next five years, we're going to build everyone who needs a house and can't afford one is going to get one. Well, the prime minister was in Guelph a few weeks ago and talking about the, uh, the housing accelerator fund. Um, and he said at the time to the people that were there, we don't build houses as a federal government. We don't have a box of nails and, and screws and some boards, and we don't just go out and build houses as a government. Um, and if we tried to do that, we would have other problems. Uh, Alberta would be up in arms. Quebec would probably be up in arms. Uh, the provincers would be saying, what are you doing? That's our job. Mm -hmm. Let us do that job. Give us the mm -hmm. money and we'll do it better. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're actually going straight to the municipalities instead of to the province and saying to the municipalities, if you want to build houses in your community, here's some money to look for infill development, look at rezoning, looking at adding staff to the city so that the city can look at where are the opportunities for building housing that we could then increase our, 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 uh, response to the developing commu developer community so that let's say new software to get approvals done faster. Uh, so we're providing the municipalities with those tools. Instead of building the houses ourselves, we're giving the municipality the money. It's $4 billion um, that'll start rolling out. Uh, the applications will be closed by June. And so the second half of this year, we should see some funding rolling out across Canada and hopefully some of that's in Guelph. Uh, but we're just, we're, Housing is generally under the province and mm. the municipalities are creatures of the province. So the federal government hasn't had a role to play for the last 40 years in housing. Um, over the last five years, the federal government has stepped in knowing that a lot of what need is needed is money. And so the federal government has brought money through the rapid housing initiative and other housing initiatives to, to try and support, you know, supportive housing that we've got in Guelph with a couple of really good projects. We've got some more coming in. Um, so we can provide money and direction and then it's up to the province and the city to work on zoning and building permits and all of the things they need to do to, to get houses built. Might something like this finally activate like 200 Beverly, which is like it's property owned by the city, but it's like incredibly toxic at that, you know, it needs like serious cleanup and that's kind of yeah. outside the city's can. Yeah. And, and, and the, there's an example of it. It is toxic. It's toxic in more ways than one, but the ground is toxic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and has to be cleaned up. And that's like last I heard was five or $6 million uh, to clean up the property so that we can put housing on it. Uh, I, in maybe four years ago, I tried to go the route of saying, instead of putting foundations in the ground, could we put concrete pads on top of the ground and have a temporary 15 to 25 year uh, housing solution put on top of Beverly? And um, I thought we were getting some progress there, but um, it, it didn't, didn't come about. Mm -hmm. So 
cleaning up the soil again is not a federal job right. unless the federal government owns the land we can't touch it right so i i also tried that route i said <laughs> six years ago how about if the federal government buy that land and then we clean it up and then we turn it back to the market and um, the CMHC came back and said, oh, creative solution, but uh, no, we, we're not allowed to buy something we know we're going to sell. It's, right. We're not in the, the federal government is not in buying and selling property. Gotcha. We take surplus land, we can do something with it. But it really came down to that money has to come from the province. And um, so we're trying to move that along through the rapid housing initiative if the city can get rezoning and the city can use some of the money from the federal government for some parts of the project then the province could maybe come to the table and say okay well then if you're providing all this money we could provide some money for cleaning it up so we're hoping that we're going to land somewhere along there it, it just seems to me that's kind of like the perfect sort of like example of of it's this big space in the middle of a yep. built-up area to, you know yep. busy neighborhood you yep. know perfect it, neighborhood and the neighborhood's <laughs> over it's turning over we yeah got the you know some fusion homes has done some great work uh with the old woods site um and we could talk about baker street <laughs> there's another huge opportunity and the the uh innovation district the the old reformatory lands we've got some great opportunities but they all need to have the cooperation with the federal and provincial governments and uh, mm -hmm. we're doing everything we can to try and make it easier for the province to say yes well that's a kettle of fish we'll have to open another day but uh for now lloyd yeah. longfield uh thank you so much for all your time well it's great talking with you as always and we didn't touch on student uh <laughs> the interest on student loans going to zero that's going to be good for a whole bunch of people living in guelph uh with a lot in those 300 and something pages but thank you for the time to ask me the questions today i'm glad you squeezed that in thank you and once again that was our mp lloyd longfield and uh we thank him for making some time not in uh, not in ottawa this week i should mention this is a, oh. a week off from ottawa and then uh i think he said uh when we were chatting before the interview it's it's then after the Easter break, it's like eight out of eight out of the next nine weeks. It's it's all Ottawa all the time for him. Straight run, straight run. That's how they. I mean, isn't that how we all do this? We're like we wait till the very end of the semester to get everything done. And <laughs> it's <laughs> cramming in all nighters. Yes, that's true. How much <laughs> legislation can we pass before the summer break? Yes, we're gonna see that. Um, and then election question mark no let's not let's not go there anyway oh. yeah <laughs> you can stay connected to us at our website opensourcesguelph.com you can find us on facebook at open sources newswire and we're on twitter at os underscore guelph if you'd like to listen to this show again you can download it from our website every monday at the guelph podcast channel on podbean or through your favorite podcast app at apple stitcher google TuneIn, and spotify you can find me personally on twitter and instagram at adam a donaldson or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca i'm scotty hertz on facebook twitter and spotify no what i'm not on spotify <laughs> wow <laughs> facebook twitter mastodon wow what a moment there yes and uh yeah if you're listening to us on the fm currently stay tuned for turtle island underground i think i got that right and you got you got that right but i think we got a little insight into the scotty hertz dream of uh picking up that guitar and getting it on spotify it might anyway. happen It'll probably be it band camp i'll say that much but you never know you do never know 
some vast numbers of pennies are waiting for Scotty on Spotify. But I will uh, <laughs> just say, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU. 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday th- next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more open sources. See, even I screw up, too. We'll <laughs> see. We will see you then. Yeah. <laughs>